Hello again, and welcome to the Dietitians Against Diets podcast show. I'm your host, Rashonda Thornton, and this we are now in season two of this podcast production. And so as we're getting ready to roll out all our, our guests, I want to introduce you to one of my long-term podcast partners, Undeniably Dairy. And if you haven't un- heard of Undeniably Dairy, it is a part of Midwest um, Dairy Council, and they're putting out ways of messaging the ways to give yourself nutrients when it comes to how you incorporate healthy dairy products in every meal and every snack. And we think about dairy products, it's not just about milk. It's actually composed of several different products that can provide the same non-essential nutrients, um, being protein, calcium, and potassium as a few. So if your goal is to start this 2021 year off, start with planning and implementing more um, healthy foods and healthy sources in your body, and that comes with implementing more dairy. So whether it's a simple strained cheese stick, um, create a smooth, fruity Greek yogurt parfait, or even just adding milk to your smoothies, um, go actually to um, dairygood.com and you'll find some of these recipes, um, some nutritional information that will give you the equipment that you need to know that you're making the right choice when it comes to your nutrition. And also find ways to be creative in how you're feeding yourself. Find them on um, their website, dairygood.com, or follow them on um, Instagram at Midwest Dairy. So uh, in addition to that, we uh, you've seen me several different times talk about um, how are we going to start, you know, not just changing our perspective, but learning how to place it into intact into, in, in when it comes to our nutrition, our wellness, how we feel and care about ourselves. So I got a question for you. You know, we have 2020 behind us, and now we have 2021 in front of us. And I know everyone wants to start off with their New Year's resolutions, but my question for you is, what are your plans for the new year? Um, and is your, is your plan something that's going to be short-lived or is it going to be something long-term, long-sustainable? Because uh, when you make plans that can go either direction, you can either move forward by making goals and ex- executing them, or you can stay stagnant by just getting by, um, but never really truly step up to the plate of what you want to do and what you deserve for yourself. Or you can go the opposite direction by going backwards with ignoring the fact that change has to happen. And of course, there's no surefire way to meet any goals, but whatever you try in the past, um, ask yourself, has it, has it worked? And if it hasn't, ask yourself, what other approaches can you take to ensure that they do work, especially for this given year? So as you should know a little bit about my background, I've been a consultant dietitian for um, for the last eight years and been in the wellness industry for over 12 years. And I work with hundreds of people in regard to their nutrition. I help people with customizing and developing a new way of approaching their nutrition, not trying to change their old ways, but giving them a new perspective on how to tackle this lifelong struggle they've had with food. But also talk about struggles, help to teach them how to overcome their personal struggles. And by doing so, building a new relationship with food that is more self-serving and not self-sabotaging. So again, you know, I'm a dietitian and, you know, working with a dietitian, it would always ensure that your nutrition would never be compromised. There's no food groups going to be taken out. We're not taking half the calories out of our day. Our body needs those particular nutrients just to live. And so teaming up with someone, a healthcare professional that has that knowledge, that has that ability to help you, that's where you want to, that's what you want to seek for your long-term changes, whether it's your weight, your health, or just clean eating practices. So me personally, um, I see to it that your life and your healthy eating are aligned um, to where they're like living a harmonious life. I always say marry nutrition to your life. So that means instead of fitting you into this system or program that may not really be you, I build your program around you. And so what does that mean? That means your mindset changes away from past eating cultures. Uh, you begin to recognize all the little and big things that have been holding you back. And you'll finally be able to jump off that roller coaster <laughs> of weight gain and weight loss. So this particular month in January, I want to extend and commemorate my 12 years of being in the industry and offer a 12% discount for anyone that wants to partic- that wants to partake in any of my services. If you want to learn more about um, where you can find what I do for a living and my services, simply go to my website at www.rashondathornton.com or follow me on Instagram at the Dietitian Against Diets, or you can find me on Facebook at Rashonda or Bella Vessel. 
get on there, jump on there, read a little bit about me, kind of see what aligns with your thoughts and your goals where you want to be. And take that next step and let's have a conversation. I offer 15 minute free consultations just to see where you're at, what you're looking for, and then seeing if it makes sense for us to work together. So find me, contact me, and reach out. And I would love to start your next journey of health for yourself. So stay tuned and get ready for my podcast guest coming up soon. Well, hello again, and welcome to another episode of The Dietitian Against Diets. I want to introduce myself. I'm Rashonda Thornton, and I want to also introduce my um, guest today, Dr. Mark Minari. Let me tell you a little bit about him, and then we'll go into more conversations. He is a pediatric physician here at Washington University in St. Louis, and one of the world's foremost experts in child malnutrition, where most of his work has been throughout the sub-Saharan area in Africa. As the CEO and founder of Project Peanut Butter, he has developed novel foods for infants, children, and recently pregnant women by way of RUTFs, which is another word for ready-to-use therapeutic foods. In addition, he is also known for contributing to the improvement of agricultural practices and food systems. Overall, Dr. Mark Minari has, rec- has been recognized, has recognized the power of nutrition um, and how it can improve almost every asset and facet of life. So overall, he's pretty much dedicated his, dedicated his life to um, fixing the malnutrition in Africa. So I want to uh, say welcome, Dr. Moore. I'm glad you found some time to have some conversations with us today. Thank you, Rashonda, and thank you for inviting me to participate. Yes, yes. Um, this is a hot topic. Um, and so, you know, before we even go into some of the, the different areas that we're going to, we have a lot to talk about. I want to just, I know when it comes to malnutrition, it's something that's obviously a worldwide um pandemic or epidemic, but it's also, we also see it here at home in the U.S. Um, But before we start talking about other areas in which you focus on, I would love to kind of allow you to discuss your work um, and the significant findings you have found over the last, over the years of your work. And also, what are some of the common threads you have seen across the world when it comes to malnutrition in children? Well, Rashonda, I, I first went to Africa and have lived there and work there in a, in a very firsthand everyday way much, much of that time since 1985. So it's been, it's really been my whole working life that mm. uh, that's where I've been focused. And one of the things that's different about Africa than say North America is that most people there produce their own food. They're, they are, they're subsistence farmers. They're growing. Uh, maybe they do a little trading, uh, bartering for food, mm-hmm. but, they're very much connected to the production of their food. They, they know exactly how hard it is to get and where to get it from. And they live in a system where, where they, if everything pretty much goes right, their family's gonna have enough to eat. Um, and for most people, that's really the case. But for a few, there's some bad luck. So I think mm-hmm. that the first message I wanna have is that when we have starvation, it's not usually about wars, floods, major disruptions. It's just about some bad luck. What kind of bad luck are we talking about here? We're talking about, say, uh, a family's, uh, one of their brothers or sisters of the heads of household has to move in with them. And suddenly there's twice as many people to feed. Mm. And that doesn't work. Or maybe as a child that gets malaria three times in the last six weeks, you know, some that's pretty frequent. That's, yes. that's more than you would normally expect. Wow. Just things like that. Maybe their garden got messed up by by animals or pests, you know, these are, these are, this is what causes malnutrition in the world. 80% of it. It's not, it's not the, the TV blaring, uh, mm. dramatic emergencies that, that cause this. And for most people, they don't have that bad luck and they do just fine. But for those that do just that their, their food system is, is fragile enough that just interrupting it for a few weeks, Send somebody into malnutrition. And usually that's one of the most vulnerable people in the family. That's going to be a younger child. Okay. So so that I I think is the first conception I would like to share is that, is that this is, this is not a problem of, of just very bad human nature and very awful things happening by Mm -hmm. by people, but, but it's, it's bad luck. And that's, I'm glad that you brought that up because obviously, you know, being in the U S the only images or media that we see, you know, it's, the starvation, but we we see that it's due to the land or due to definitely not due to some of the uh, elements that you're talking about. And again, it you're just reiterating the con- not just the conditions. That, it's not about the, really the conditions they live in. It's the, the circumstances in which they're faced, um, and they're having to find a way to 
a lot whatever resource they have when it comes to food and sometimes it doesn't make it to every mouth and for one thing you know being a pedi pediatrician child mal child mal malnutrition really has been your focal point um, and so uh, obviously uh, Africa is like your second home or I would almost say US is your second home because you're there almost half the time for sure yeah um, um, but you know, how have you used your your project, Project Peanut Butter? How has that um, been such? How has that really changed the um, the malnutrition um, situation there in Africa? Yeah. So when I uh, was working in Malawi in '94, I'd been in Africa about nine years at that point. Uh, we noticed that the biggest problem seemed to be that kids were sick because they didn't get enough to eat, and they were being brought to the hospital with malnutrition. And of course, we tried very standard uh, uh, therapeutic options and foods, mm -hmm. liquid foods, and um, they didn't work. They uh, they could stop, they could save a kid's life, but they could never. We could never get kids to recover. Okay. And that's because the hospital isn't a very good place to recover from a nutritional problem. It's a very exogenous place. It's not where your your family and your caring unit is surrounding you. Um, it's not where you, where where you are integrated into the rest of your life as a young mm -hmm. child. So in 99 or so, we said, we're very interested in some kind of home-based therapy. And what's going to be home-based? Well, it's gotta be something that doesn't need firewood, no cooking necessary, something that, that bacteria can't live in, uh, which means very little water in the food, something full of fat and protein, mm -hmm. and something that um, is shelf-stable. I mean, it, you know, you can sit out in, ambient conditions for weeks on end and doesn't spoil. Uh -huh. And to an American, that's peanut butter. That's the one thing that's in our cupboard that kind of meets that those criteria. <laughs> so we took some peanut butter and we blended in some some milk powder, which is absolutely essential nutritious for recovering from malnutrition, added okay. some oil and sugar and lots of vitamins and minerals. And that's what our UTF is. That's what ready to use therapeutic food is. And we treated kids at home. And when we used to see a recovery rate of 25 to 45% in the hospital, it went to 90%, 90% oh, wow. by they just were... giving the mothers this peanut butter food and going home mm -hmm. and not, not hanging around the hospital. And so that was the game changer that we did that first trial in 2001. And so, you know, that was nice. That was a nice accomplishment, a scientific accomplishment. Mm -hmm. People somewhat took notice of it, but you know, as far as that goes, that meant to me that I knew how to take care of as many of those kids as I could possibly take care of. But how could I do, how could I get that out to, to people and kids I was never going to meet? How could I, how can I put that miracle of recovery uh -huh. in those kids' bodies? And so that's where we started this not-for-profit because there, there we make the food locally in four, four countries now in Sub-Saharan Africa. So oh, wow. the project peanut butter is more of providing, uh, making this food locally. Now you can't ask somebody, a family to make this themselves because basically they already got the situation where they're run out of food at their house. You know, it, that kind of pulling up by your own bootstraps is just not effective. It doesn't work. But, um, but it's not, it's not, it's something that we can make locally. Sure. We have to bring in milk. Sure. We have to bring in vitamins, but the other ingredients can all be pretty local. And so that's the revolution that 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 we mm. started in 2001, and by 2007 it was endorsed by all the UN agencies, and now is considered the standard around the world. So this is an oh, old really? story. So that not started. A new one. You started in Africa, but now it has expanded across the world. Wow. Well, it is. You know, there's not this very much malnutrition in South America, and really the other spot in the world where there's a fair amount of it is South, South Asia. So India, Pakistan places mm -hmm. like that, but yeah. You know, um, and it's, I'm glad you said it because you talked about the ingredients that's inside the, the peanut butter combo combination. Um, and you it's like you're intentional in, in finding um, sources that will provide as many nutrients as possible in a natural way, because you mentioned the, the milk powder. Um, and so I'm assuming that, you know, just just having a combination of the, obviously the healthy fat with the peanut butter, um, but also bringing in the milk powder and also with additional vitamins. I guess that combination was what was the, the I guess the magic potion that will um, provide those nutrients for those young children. For sure. Now our choices, you know, when we originally put that together, were more based on food safety. OK, 
Okay. Mm-hmm. You always would start with nutritious ingredients, but we wanted, remember those qualities. We wanted something that wouldn't spoil. So sugar doesn't spoil, vegetable oil doesn't spoil. Um, so that's why those are included and they provide the energy, of course. Yeah. So um, that wanted to, I want to shift over to, you know, what would be your, what would be comparable to like what you, what U.S. face as far as malnutrition? Um, I know according to um, um, WHO, Worldwide Health Organization, um, malnutrition is credited as the largest contributor for child mortality in the world. Now, I know with the U.S. children, they come with their own host of um, problems, but in regards to malnutrition, what would, be, what would be some common nutrition deficiencies that you see children here in the U.S. Uh, face? Well, we, we don't see any of these pictures of the kids like we see in Africa that are, are skin and bones. They're very thin. They've lost a lot of weight from their malnutrition. Mm-hmm. Typically in the U.S., we're going to see children who have some kind of disease that prevents their body from either taking up the nutrients or um, you know consuming uh, enough food, perhaps a chronic infection. So the cause may be a little different. You know, there in, mm-hmm. in Africa, somebody's family's running out of food. That's what drives them over the limit, right? And here it's gonna have to do with some kind of associated illness. And of course, that is not going to be treated by food alone. There's absolutely nothing wrong with RUTF. We could all eat it here in the US. It provide where our bodies are, are essentially the same the world over, you know, the, the way they're, they, they run, their metabolism. And so RUTF is, is still a very good food for the US but you need to have addressed the, um, the associated medical problems you know, mm-hmm. in to, to uh, effectively control things in the U.S. Yes. And also, you know, if we align that, you know, I'm, you know, unfortunately with the U.S., we kind of face the opposite when it comes to childhood obesity. Now, that's the new um, epidemic that's coming in, in our country. And so even with that, there, you know, there is a, a, a spectrum of malnutrition within that realm as well. Wouldn't you agree? For sure, There's a, that, that's a, that is the biggest nutritional problem kids in the U.S. face. Um, and, and a key part of that is a little bit, a little bit uh, opposite of the, of the program and labels we're dealing with in this nutrition labeled program is activity, is exercise. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, there's not one boogeyman about what's causing this, this, mal, this obesity, but this is the biggest uh, elephant in the room is the lack, I mean, People always used to get out of their car and lift up their garage door. Kids always used to go to the sandlot, the playground, and, and play for two hours after school, unsupervised, running around after each other. Um, you know, th- th- we can think of lots and lots and lots of examples where we have these sort of very modern uh, work-saving devices, but they've, they've also led us to situations where, you know, you wouldn't have seen a fitness club when I was a kid. Uh, for anything, now we have it. to artificially manufacture exercise, mm-hmm. and uh, and and likewise, when you think about where I spent most of my time in Africa, I mean, these people work physically, are very physically active all day, and they're some of the strongest people you ever want to meet. Hmm. And I bet they're strong-hearted as well. I'm very grateful. Um, so you know, so let's let's talk a little bit about you know the science, the science component of it, because, you know, science is facts, science, science, you know, there is, and science is, is still an evolving um, aspect as well. But you, um, you mentioned that, you know, you explore the pathophysiology and metabolism of malnutrition, and you also have kind of shifted into looking at the gut biome and the metabiome um, around health and disease. Um, so with the combination of your, your research and a combination of what you're physically developing and creating, uh, why, is, why is the science behind it so important to you? And what, is, what have you found that it has told us? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the paradigm of the bacteria that inhabit our gut is a little bit, you know, hard to get your mind around for, for just, I think, a typical educated uh, American is that Germs tend to have a bad reputation. They're bad. We don't want germs on things. You know, people would say they don't want germs in their food, but our gut <laughs> is full of germs and we can't live a healthy life without that. Yes. Okay. The, the, the germs are there. They, uh, they aren't there by chance. They're cultivated, just like the garden in your backyard. When you plant, you know, peppers, you usually expect peppers. You can get weeds too, occasionally, but mostly what you get is peppers. 
And so our bodies are nurturing a garden of microorganisms in there. And those microorganisms do a lot of things. They protect us from, from uh, uh, other microorganisms that mm -hmm. might cause disease. They uh, make metabolites and, uh, and compounds that our body needs. You know, we have, we, as a, as a being, we have our, our proteins are made of these components, amino acids. We, our body can't make a, half of those amino acids on its own anymore. It relies on either the bacteria or our diet to provide those. So it's, it, it's hugely uh, important. And it's something that we, two decades ago, we had no appreciation of, not just, you know, you and me, but mm -hmm. you know, it, as, a, as a, a scientific or medical community. So now we don't know exactly how to, um, you know, how to use that yet very well. Yeah. But we know that it's very important. And in fact, one of the, the pieces of work that we did is we showed that this severe acute malnutrition is in part caused by the bacteria that, that, are, that are hanging out in the gut there, that are uh, certain hmm. populations of bacteria can, are, are needed for certain kinds of malnutrition together as a thing. So I think that that, that you know... That's um, something. None of us are, are going to be smart enough to understand biology in total, uh, even the smartest of us, you know, but there are people who say build a machine like a car or a washing machine or something. They can understand everything about that. And so they can, they can design one better. They can think the problems through, but in biology, really what we need to do is just be good observers. And when we see that something works, we need to, to stick with it. Now to get this back to what you, what we're here talking about mm -hmm. is, Let's bring up fermented foods. What is in fermented foods that does something for these bacteria? Well, there are bacteria in fermented foods. That's what ferment fermentation is. It's mm -hmm. bacteria changing those nutrients a bit before we eat them. The other thing is that when you think about like say milk, what milk sugar is, milk sugar is, is lactose. It's something that doesn't appear in plants usually ever but it's made naturally by, by mothers for their, their babies. And what does that do? Yes, some of it's broken down and absorbed into the body. Mm -hmm. Not a lot of it just feeds these bacteria. It sets these bacteria. You know, it, it, it says, this is the kind of populations of bacteria that we want to have in our gut, ones that survive and, and thrive on lactose. And so that is, is hugely important. And I think that we could, we could say like, the observation, you know, I mean, milk was good for, for healing malnutrition before we knew anything about these bacteria. Yes. Part of that reason, it, I mean, it still has its effect whether we know about it or not. I mean, we, we're not smart enough to figure that out. So, so my point about, about the bacteria is, is there may be traditions or observations like in fermented foods and milk that point us to, to um, truth about what's good for health. And we know with, you know, prebiotics and probiotics, you know, that um, dairy products has been on the, the front end of that. It's providing that healthy bacteria. But um, I guess my question is a lot of people, and this is a, more of a consumer question, because a lot of people, you know, there has been this a big wave of just um, lactose intolerance. Now, um, now, I don't know if that's a specific diagnosis for that. That's just something that comes in waves. But, you know, I know um, you talked about the adaptability of your gut health and how it can how it can change the environment can change. What do you say about those who feel like lactose is something that hasn't really set well in their gut? Yeah, that's quite a story. I, I you got me off. Now you're going to get a good answer uh, <laughs> about this. What this is? So lactose is a sugar, and sugars that uh, tend to be two two molecules of sugar stuck together. So, and you need an enzyme to break them into single sugars. And that's what the body absorbs as a nutrient, right? Mm -hmm. And we make the enzyme to break lactose, something called lactase, in limited quantities. Um, it's kind of the, the way enzymes work is that if your body wants to use a lot of them, they make a lot more of them. You know, they, they're like, they're, you know, yes, like if, you, if you need to use a lot of silverware, you're going to buy a lot of silverware, but mm -hmm. you're not going to just eat lots of silverware in some fixed amount in your kitchen. And their body in the gut is not going to keep some amount of lactase in a fixed amount in its gut. So first of all, if you start consuming considerable portions of lactose, your body's going to make the enzymes to start being able to use more and okay. more of it. Um, but second of all, it 
Why did that come about is because in the 1970s, before they knew anything about the gut bacteria as doing anything good, people noticed that that um, the gut is, is shaped like little fingers, like my fingers on my hand. And the lact uh, lactase enzyme happens up at the top of these fingers. Okay. And then in, when people got sick, they get sort of shorter fingers on their gut, okay? And, and, the lact, and they said, well, because the end is where that lactase is, there's no more end anymore, then it must not be good for them. It must, that's, we shouldn't feed it to kids with diarrhea and we shouldn't feed it to people who have some kind of damaged guts. And that, that was just a, an idea in a man's mind, not borne out by any particular fact. Huh. Um, so, so to me, I mean, this is gonna be a controversial thing to say, but I think lactose intolerance is mostly made up. Yeah, as I was wondering, like, is it a, you know, how long has it been a diagnosis or because people are quick to say, oh, I'm lactose intolerant. Um, and obviously, you know, as a dietitian, I always try to ask, let them know that there's different ranges of milk sugars that are in certain dairy products. And sometimes if you do feel that there is a more of an immediate response to having some higher sugar dairy products, perhaps start with something that's lower into where your gut can tolerate it and you find that you can eventually have other sources of dairy products that does have more lactose in it. Um, but I, I, but I think people are still real quick, real quick still to say that they can't drink, they can't drink milk or they can't have any, any dairy products. And like just what you said, yeah. your body will produce more of those enzymes as you are having more, um, as there's more of a need for it. And so, you know, immediately it may be a, a negative effect, but I know you had mentioned too, because it's a different type of sugar as well. It's not like a fruit sugar. It's not like a processed sugar. So it does take time uh, a lot longer to break down in your gut than in, in comparable to other forms of sugar. Yeah. And, and you know, our gut in our mind are connected. 90% mm -hmm. of the nerves in our body from our brain go to our gut. And I remember way back in college, some experience which just taught me how much our mind can affect what we think about what's going on in our gut. And this was a, 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 a psychology teacher who said he was okay. doing an experiment and he asked students if they could wanted to participate. And, he, and here's what they did. He said, well, I've got a medicine here that's gonna keep you from, when you feel sick to your stomach, it'll stop you from feeling sick to your stomach. And, uh, and and there's a medicine called Ipecac, which makes you feel sick to your stomach. And so he said, he's giving everybody a dose of Ipecac. And there were hundreds of people in this room at MIT in the 1970s. And, and, and he says, raise your hand, raise your hand when, when, when you start feeling sick to your stomach. And we'll come around and give you this special medicine. Mm -hmm. And it, it, most people raised their hand. Most people got the special medicine. 90% of them said that this helped. And the second medicine they got was the same thing, Ipecac to make them more sick to their stomach. Wow. So there you go. <laughs> there's a, mm -hmm. there's a huge connection. I, and I think you're, what you're touching on Rashonda is people have in their minds, uh -huh. their body can't deal with lactose and they're going to start feeling things in their gut and so forth and so forth. Now there are some very special conditions and, you know, medical conditions where lactose isn't indicated. And for those mm -hmm. people who have that, I mean, you know, that's, it's, it's one in thousands or one in several hundred. It's not, not okay. much, not everybody you meet and it's not most people yeah no that's I, I like that you broke it down like that and can do the connection with or you know what our mind is telling us in the gut and vice versa because again i think that for me i just noticed it's too too much of a benefit when it comes to you know dairy products and what they provide especially now you're talking about they um milk prop milk powder was inside of your RUTFs. i mean that just shows you know how much how nutritionally dense dairy products is and if someone does have have a reaction to it perhaps understanding the value of it taking some more taking time and just insert implementing it slowly into their diet until their gut has adapted to it and is able to break it down um um, effectively. Um, so it's good that you brought that up because a lot of people are just, they just shun themselves from it without recognizing how much of a benefit it can actually be. Yes, yeah. very much. And, and you know, that's when one of the, the big, that was a big issue raised with uh, uh, RUTF. It's got, it's got milk in it and who's got a frat, whose gut is more fragile than a severely malnourished kid? No mm. one's. That is that the is... most vulnerable, fragile gut. And so people made RUTFs without lactose uh-huh and they work they they did not work any better one bit 
<laughs> there you go. So, you know, yeah. we have to, we have to follow, you know, I, I would say I'm, I would, I'm empiricist is what I would say. You know, I'm somebody who, who is going to follow what happens. And if I see it, see good things happening, I'm going to follow in that direction. Keep going. Yeah. Keep going down. And if I path. don't, I'm going to back off. I'm not going to go that way. Yeah. Um, I'm glad we, I'm glad we brought that up. Cause that's real. That's a really, that really is a hot topic, especially within the last five to six years. But you know, one other thing that you focus on too is, um, sustainability and how important it is when it comes to agriculture. Um, and I know that, um, where you were in Africa, like you worked to improve, you know, their food systems and how, you know, you brought in these certain practices. Now, I guess my question is like, I don't really know the intricacies of those practices, but is it something specific to their country or some certain practices that you've seen in the U.S. that you've been able to kind of transition over there? Um, well, no, it's not something I brought to the U.S. from the U.S. at all. I mean, we have a very different, different agriculture system in the U.S. And as I pointed out in the beginning, you know, most of our food is produced by, I mean, I don't really don't know, but I'm going to guess that 1% of American are farmers, you know, hardly, hardly any, very small people in making very, very large amounts of food yes, doing a lot of and, work and making a fairly limited number of different, different crops. Whereas people in Africa, for the most part, are growing their food. Mm -hmm. And if you're not growing your own food, it's your brother who's growing the food, you know, okay. it's, it's still within your reach. And there, they're, they're, they're planting much more diverse gardens. And, you know, in terms of, of, of dairy, dairy's a hard one in many ways for Africa, right? Because they're, you, you, it's harder to keep a cow than it is to plant mm -hmm. beans. I would imagine. Really. A lot of my agriculture work has focused on, on legumes, actually, as, as, a, as a particularly healthy, healthy plant. And okay, yes. we certainly, you know, when we, when we know milk is being very, very helpful in, in child, young children and malnutrition and so forth, we, um, um, we do turn to that. Now, I suppose that's the, the blessing of world trade or something, right? That we can play, produce milk in, in those areas where you can't grow very many crops, you know, where the, the latitude's above 45 degrees or whatever. Uh, and, uh, and they can trade that mm -hmm. you know, for exchange things that, that they can grow in the South in uh in much more plentiful burden environments one thing you did say and it, it stuck out to me like i don't think people understand and uh, you mentioned like one percent of our property you know agriculture is different you know another each country it sounds like in africa someone if you near next door neighbors is growing something so it's a common thing with their the 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 citizens there they they see where that food comes from and they can appreciate it at a different level because they've done the work they've they've they've, they've picked it they've grown it they 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 depend on it you know and i feel like in america you mentioned one percent of our population are farmers and they do a lot of work but when it comes to americans they don't i don't think there's a i think there's a lack of connection and understanding where food comes from so i feel like because of there's lack of connection there's also a lack of appreciation um now, you know, when it comes to um, sustainability practices and agricultural, um, when it, I know you mentioned even dairy, like dairy farmers and things like that. And I know over the last 10, 20 years, they have really rearranged um, their practices to where they're, um, they're even everything from the ground and the water, the everything they're doing is they're utilizing less resources, but still being able to produce the same amount of um, produce or dairy at the same high quality. Um, and so for consumers, you know, you, when there is a lack of understanding the connection, I mean, again, I think that goes back to not really appreciating the importance of certain nutrients that come from certain foods uh, comparable to countries that they, that's their livelihood. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And, and, you know, what I think one of the beautiful things why I turned to dairy is because there's a way a food, a food processing uh, element between the milk, the cow, and the consumer. And that's, you know, these milk product products can be powdered. And then powdered mm -hmm. are stable, safe, and can be moved around the world. We don't really see that with, say, you know, other animal source products like meat or, or eggs. So, I mean, dairy's got a, got a leg up on that. And that's why we, one of the reasons we turn to dairy is because it has such a, um, uh, a strong processing uh, uh element now at my house here in st louis i mean we drink liquid milk but yeah uh-huh 
So I mean, that, that to me that says, you know, again, it says a lot for what we don't see and what we don't appreciate. Um, I kind of look at, you know, farmers, dairy farmers particularly, um, they actually, you know, the work that they do is actually, you know, we talk about malnutrition and things like that. That They're protecting us by being able to keep that system, that food system going um, to where we are getting high-dense foods um, in, in smaller amounts. And I again, I feel like it's overlooked. It's been taken for granted. Um, and the value is just not, the value of what they do, because I've, I've been, I mean, I'm, I'm a city girl. But I have gone down to a lot of farms here in Missouri, and I and I have seen like the they hours for hours and days and days. They don't have, they don't have days off. They're constantly working with the cows. They're constantly you know making sure that the milk is at its highest grade. It's just a lot of like heart that's in it as well. And again, you know when when I hear milk as something that you know it should not be you know put at a high tier of healthiness. It just really kind of hurts my heart because I know that these farmers, they love, they love their cows, they love what they do, and they have, it's, it's a generational thing, you know? So we talk about agriculture and sustainability, you know, I really feel like a lot of what they're doing is contributing to that overall um, sustainability that we need in our country. Yeah, and I mean, if we're talking about milks, let me throw in a couple of other things here. I mean, there are hardly any foods, period, that provide calcium in in the quantities that milk does. If you're trying, if you're a doctor like me and you're trying to put together a, a diet that has mm-hmm. enough of everything, you can't really do it without dairy products because of calcium, okay? Really, I mean, there's just not others, there's not plants that, that have very much calcium in, in them. And and so what is calcium for, for all of us? I mean, calcium is for, you know, 11 to 13 year old girls, absolutely mm-hmm. critical for them reaching, you know, their the the maximum bone health that they have and, and their growth. And that's something that's, that pays dividends decades and decades and decades on because we don't, you know, who do we see people suffering from calcium problems? Well, those are people that are older, you know, and getting these fractures and this and yes. that. Um, so, so it's a, milk is about calcium. And, and I think that in our country here in the U.S., right, you know, right today, one of the most vulnerable groups for nutrition, for getting poor nutrition, for having malnutrition, whatever you want to say, are girls, younger adolescent girls, 10, 13, 14 years old in that age group. Their body is is going through it. It's a growth spurt. It has a huge amount of requirement. And yet, what do mm-hmm. we have? We have a social situation that says, be super thin and don't eat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We, we've got a situation where 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 people you know smirk if they say like oh we're drinking milk for health <laughs> no it's yeah. coca-cola dear that you need <laughs> yes i totally agree um because i mean it's a combination of especially that that age bracket of girls their body is changing hormones their bones are just the opportunity where their bones are going to be its ability to be as strong as it's right and it's that sweet spot for their their body to get that calcium that they need but it's also a combination of um the malnutrition piece because they are they may find itself that may be the group that's influenced in a negative way to where they're eating less um because they have they have this imagery of they have to have a certain look a certain size um and then when you say you know the older population now how are we going to help lower the risk of osteoporosis or the process of it you know, and that's making sure that we're constantly, you know, having these nutrients that come in, that come in, and we can only get so much from plants, and we can only get so much from other sources. But a main source would be dairy. So I totally agree. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, so before we 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 gotta, I want to do like a quick um, round with you. It's called burning questions. Um, I'm I'm really curious. I want to pick your brain a little bit more. So I'm gonna call it five questions in five minutes. But before we do so, I want to take a quick pause, Doctor Mark Renari, if you don't mind. And we're gonna do a dairy um, dairy snack moment. So if you just hold on a second, I'll be we'll be right back. Okay, we're taking a quick breather, and we're gonna have our dairy snack moment segment. Now this segment is brought to you by Midwest Dairy Farmers. I'm going to show you one of my favorite snacks that I usually have. I'm at least two or three times a day, oh, not a day, two or three times a week. Um, it's my favorite morning snack. I have here with me Greek yogurt, but it's like a chocolate Greek yogurt. Um, so I'm gonna show you and tell you how and why I'm having this particular snack. 
five reasons why having dairy into your daily um, eating regimen, uh, why it's so important. Well, number one, you're getting nine essential nutrients in one given time. And for me, it's worth, it's worth it because if I know I'm getting all the nutrients I can get in at one time, that to me saves time. I feel good about what I'm eating. And it just I can check that box of I'm getting my nutrients in. But guess what? It's good for my body, but man, it really tastes good on my tongue. The cool taste and creamy taste is just satisfying. Um, just makes for a delightful morning. Also, you know, protein is something we know Greek yogurt is known for having. So I know I'm getting my 15 grams of protein in. So to me, it makes me feel good. I'm hitting, making my protein box check. And it's not really, really expensive to have this particular snack. I can grab it out of the grocery store, I can buy a larger tub and just kind of divvy it out throughout the week. So I'm really saving a dollar. And also, you know, it's good for my gut health too. And that's something that we all know now when it comes to our gut health, how important to have those probiotics um, in our system. And having a dairy product such as Greek yogurt contributes to that. So I wanna show you, this is my simple way of having it. And you can just stay simple or you can get creative by adding granola, dry fruit, berries, chopped nuts, um, if you want more flavor or texture. And just also, just kind of change it up a little bit. So I have with me, um, depends on how, how risky I want to get on my snacking, I typically just, I like texture, so I'll put my sliver of almonds on it. To me, it just gives me a nice crunch. I know I'm getting my healthy fats. Again, adding in some nutrients and value to my snacks. And if I want to just have a little bit of more sweetness, I'll add a couple of chocolate morsels. And you know, again, it just, helps to have it to where it just feels like I'm having like a night light dessert, dessert. And I can also kind of have this at nighttime too. And I can have all of this and not feel guilty knowing that I'm giving my body good nutrients. Now, if you want to find recipes like this, I want to encourage you to go to www.usdairy.com forward slash recipes and you'll find some more delightful ways you can add dairy to your foods. Okay, so guys, I hope you like that snack. Um, it's one of my favorites, um, and I'm going to send you the, the recipe. I don't want you to go to U.S. Dairy Goods forward slash recipe to find more recipes of fun, healthy, and quick dairy snacks. So back here with uh, Dr. Monari, uh, I am going to put you on the spot. <laughs> and I, I kind of prepped you. I gave you some of the questions, but I'm going to fire out five questions for you. And these are questions that, you know, I have had in the past these questions I'm always asked as being a dietitian, and these are some questions that I just kind of see always floating in media. So I really want to sound like get your perspective, get what your opinions are, uh, and if you don't mind, uh, I'm going to start off with the first one. We were talking a lot about dairy over the last end of um, our conversation, and we, you know, you, you mentioned about dairy, you know, how the natural ingredients of calcium being one of them. We know it's eight other essential nutrients and vitamins that's also involved in milk. Um, so would you consider um, dairy a natural food? And I say natural because most foods, in my opinion, uh, has always had some sort of additives in it. Um, and sometimes when we talk about, you know, natural eating, you know, I feel milk probably falls into a category. What would be your opinion about that? Yeah, for sure. It's a natural food. I mean, it, it, that is how mammals feed their young through milk. There's nothing more natural. That is, <laughs> that is so true. You know, <laughs> even thinking about a, a mother breastfeeding, I mean, you get all your nutrients in one big bolus. Yes. So it would, I would consider, you know, I, so I concur with you that it is a natural food. And it also, like I say, it comes with a, an abundance of nutrients that is just the value of it. Just, you can't, you just can't argue why it's something that should not be a part of your everyday regimen. Now, we all know, too, that, you know, with milk, you know, with media, you know, milk has a high amount of protein and actually is one of the higher quality amino acid profile proteins. Um, now, we know you talked about putting milk powders in, on the RUTFs. So apparently protein is significant. So what would you say was specifically that um, the specifics of protein, why is so, so important besides just building muscle? It's way more than just building muscle. Right. I mean, proteins constitute every working part of our body. Okay. If we think about a cell, a cell's got, you know, a fat on the outside to keep the, the water and the stuff in and the other stuff out. And then every piece of working machinery in the body is made from protein. And protein is something we have, we don't keep large reserves of in the body. We can have bodies that have fat reserves for that are good enough for six months, but we all only are, I store our protein in muscle. And so, uh, the way, the way our bodies are, uh, work right now uh, mm -hmm. is that 
we need to take in protein in a regular way. And, and protein is really made up of these little components, amino acids, and they're not transferable to each other. They're not interconvertible. We need all of them. We need all of them in certain kinds of, of ratios. And, uh, and so I, I think that, that protein is, is the most important macronutrient. We can get energy from a variety of sources, mm-hmm. a variety of other ways, but protein's it. Yeah, and also proteins is heavily involved in our immunity system. And that's, that too is for people, you know, when there's rapid weight loss in regards to being sick or coming out of some sort of procedure surgery, you know, um, there's always, weight loss is always the scary, that what we don't want to have coming out because you obviously protein is the first, you know, first um, component to go whenever you're, whenever your body is distressed. And so again, when it comes to your immunity system, protein is needed in so many different aspects. Now, some people say, you know, I've heard media and media say, we talk about, you know, dairy and we say, you know, cow's milk. Um, it say cow's milk is not nutritionally suited for humans. You know, why is that true or not true in your opinion or your, right. from your perspective? So, <laughs> the only case that I think that's not true in is you can't take a newborn baby and feed them cow's milk um, because the cow's milk is made to be for a newborn cow. Mm-hmm. And, and there, there's too much protein in there and just doesn't have the right balance of nutrients. Um, but it, it's, uh, there's milk otherwise is healthy for any age group, really. I don't, I don't see, you know, it's got a lot of, a lot of protein. Um, it doesn't have that much fat. Um, so I, yeah. I, I mean, I, yeah, don't, don't feed your, your, your under six month old cow's milk, but other than that. <laughs> Drink up. Drink up. Very true. Um, got another one for you. Um, <clears throat> um, it's 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 just kind of piggyback off what we talked about earlier, especially when it comes to the lactose intolerance. You know, we know. You know, when we look at you know your balance. You know, when USDA make their my plate, they make their healthy the pyramid. You know, it's always about the different food groups and food. Milk is definitely one of the food groups. But even though it's held in high regard as being a healthy, one of the healthiest foods that you need to have on a regular basis, people still feel that the dairy is kind of has a, a, has been having a bad rep over the last 10 years. You know, what's your opinion about people that feel that dairy is bad for them? Uh, I mean, my opinion is we're, we're getting a lot of focus here in this discussion on dairy, but I mean, dairy is a, a natural food with very healthy components in it. There's nothing, you know, it, it's it's nominally processed using techniques that have been a- developed ages ago, pasteurization, really for very good food safety reasons. So it, it isn't, I, I don't think that the dairy uh, is a particularly specialized or unhealthy food. Yeah, and I agree. And, and you know, even again, just to go back into, you know, our gut health and the, the new techno- the new advances that when it comes to research, how we're finding the connection to, you know, our overall wellness, our mental health, physical, everything's connected to our gut. Our gut is like the core root of just our, our life. And so making sure that environment that it comes to our healthy bacteria is what's being fed and nourished versus the unhealthy bacteria that leads to diseases and things like that. I, I appreciate you taking the time to a- ask those questions and even just pause and have these conversations because you're getting ready to go back to Africa this week, correct? Or next week? Yeah, the end of the week. Okay. And how long will you be there on this, this trip? Um, so our, my team, I have, I've got a big team. I have probably about 150 or 200 people that work for me. Okay. We're in four countries and we have about 50 people and we're doing uh, food production, agriculture education. We're feeding malnourished kids. I mean, we're, we're all playing along that whole spectrum of nutrition. Mm-hmm. And uh, I will be there uh, about three weeks in Sierra Leone. Wow. So uh, some people are just now hearing about some of the work that, you, that you've done and that you're still doing. Um, and I know, again, not for the project, Peanut Project, Project Peanut, but a um, organ, nonprofit organization that you've had and you started and obviously has transpired into other things. Uh, how can someone, if someone is interested in learning more or, or contributing or volunteering or even donating um, their, their resources, what, how can people find out about more about the project or even some other things that you are doing and how can people learn about you? Sure. Well, we have a website and, and it's all small letters, www.projectpeanutbutter.org, no spaces. 
Uh, there's some beautiful videos on there that are that are very authentic, firsthand. They're not created in a movie studio, but they're they're just pictures of of what the work goes on. Seek those videos out. They're they're three or four minutes, five minutes. The, and a picture is worth a thousand words. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a a, a a donate spot on the website as well. Um, it takes about to, to treat to feed one severely malnourished child. And we say severely, we mean somebody who has a 50% chance of dying in the next three months. It takes mm-hmm. about $35 to feed that child to recovery. I mean, you, you won't find a better uh, sort of a cost value proposition in terms of health care investments than, than that one. So, um, and we do have uh, people that volunteer with us and work with us in Africa. And those people tend to be young adults, um, Maybe they're done with college. Uh, actually, a lot of of the new of the dietitians um, uh, volunteer, Rashonda, okay. uh, because there's a, a process with dietitians where they they have to like take a test after they get done with college, and and, and they have to wait for that the test results, and then they get into an internship. And usually, mm. in that interval, is a period of some months. And we've had literally hundreds of of young dietitians work work with our projects. Uh, uh, so, yeah, those are some ways to get to know more about me. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to see some of my colleagues have jumped on board to support what you are doing because nutrition is definitely what makes the world go around. And I, I live it and breathe it and I preach it all the time. So I'm very delighted to have you on today. Um, for those who are, are want to know more about Dr. Minari, go to pro- projectpeanutbutter.org and learn about what he's doing. I've seen the videos. They're very um, encapsulating. Um, you will definitely understand uh, the energy that comes behind it when it comes to his work and his team's work. And just really seeing the smiles on those kids' faces, he's really making changes around the world. So Dr. Nari, I appreciate all the work that you have done, that you are doing, and what you're having, that what you're doing to come. Uh, thank you again for being on the show today. Rashonda, thank you so much for inviting me. I, I uh, um, am happy to, to share and uh, yeah. God bless. Yes, thank you, and safe travels um, to Africa this week. Okay, bye-bye. <laughs> yes, um, guys, again, follow Dr. Min- well, seek Dr. Minari, see his work, contribute, be a part of his movement. Um, and again, as we talked about the Dietitian Against Diets, it's not about the diet, it's a diet mentality. It's find a way to share love, find a way to love ourselves through eating healthy. So thanks again, and I'll see you guys next week. Okay, well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. It's always a pleasure to have like-minded individuals on this platform talking about their own personal journeys, but how they have expanded it to help not just themselves, but for others. So if you want to continue to be a part of these conversations, please uh, share, take this, subscribe to this podcast. Uh, If you know someone else that you know would greatly benefit, please, um, I want to encourage you to share the news with those others to help them to find those ways to help them on their nutrition journey. As a dietitian against diets, again, it's not about the diet, but it's the diet mentality that we are rearranging and creating a new pathway for healthy living that's sustainable, that's self-serving, and that helps us to find a true level of happiness that we've all been seeking. So until next week, I'll see you again. Take care and have a great week.